Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, Let me uh, pray for us before we read the scripture together. Father, we ask uh, that as we uh, prepare to to hear your word read and to think about it for a few minutes, that you would be gracious to come to us, and uh, even like you did to the prophet Isaiah, that we would have some sense, whatever that sense is that we we can bear, (laughs) that you know that we can bear, that we'd have a sense of your glory and your majesty and your power and your beauty and your grace. We ask that you would change us by that awareness of your presence through this word, by the power of your spirit, that you'd meet every one of us uh, in the places where we are, and that you'd show us who you are. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. We are going to start a new series of sermons together this morning that's going to take us right up until Advent. We're going to look at the life of the Apostle Peter. Uh, Other than Jesus, there isn't anyone else in the four Gospels uh, who we know more about. Other than Jesus, there is uh, no one else in the Gospels who we get a fuller picture of than Peter. Uh, And if you have uh, ever read the Gospels or even just poked around them uh, a little bit or heard a couple sermons on Peter or some Sunday school lessons on Peter, you probably have an idea about him, and it's probably not too far off base. Uh, Peter is the guy who walks, and then he sinks. Peter is the guy who makes the most profound professions and then asks the dumbest questions. He is the guy who loudly promises his allegiance and then betrays that very same allegiance with curses. He is the guy who falls asleep when he was needed the most and who draws the sword at precisely the worst time. He is the guy who Jesus calls the rock. And he is also the guy who Jesus calls Satan. Looking at Peter, if we can be honest enough to stomach it, is an awful lot like looking in the mirror. (laughs) So we're going to look at his life in the Gospels and in the book of Acts, but really, here's what we're going to be looking at. What we're really going to be looking at is what the steadfast love of Jesus does to Peter. What it works in him, what it calls him to, what the steadfast love of Jesus makes of Peter for the life of the world. And I think that should fill people like you and me with a lot of hope. So we will start this morning beside Lake Gennesaret, also known as the Sea of Galilee, where Simon, the son of John, made his living. I will read from uh, Luke 5 for us, verses 1 through 11. It's printed in the order of worship if you want to follow along there. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, He was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. 
They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. So uh, last week, uh, I was talking to an electrical contractor um, about some things that we wanted to get taken care of around our house. We had traded some texts back and forth with each other. We had traded some pictures back and forth with each other, but I figured we were still missing each other a little bit, so I asked him if he would uh, take a phone call. So he called, and in a couple of minutes into that conversation, he asked me a question about our electrical service. Now, uh, I know what an outlet is, (laughs) and I know what a light switch is, and... uh, If it's not in a tricky spot, I can change a light bulb. And that is pretty much the farthest reaches of my knowledge of home, electrical service and systems. So when he asked me this question, I was at a crossroad. I had three choices when he asked me that question, and I had to choose one of them fast. First, I could have used uh, context clues and kind of felt and groped my way into answering his question. But I knew from experience that that was not going to work with him. About a year ago, I asked this same guy uh, what would happen if our uh, electrical service at our house was not properly grounded. I actually didn't know what would happen. And uh, he looked at me with a kind of sadness in his eyes. (laughs) And instead of answering me with words, he just made a sound and a hand gesture. He just went poof. So I knew I'm not going to be able to bluff this guy, for sure. Um, My second choice would be to try to answer his question using the very limited vocabulary that I have for this kind of stuff, which would have sounded like me saying, Vio, are you asking about the box thingies where the juice comes in from outside? You know, I'm not going to do that. That would have sheared off uh, the last little bit of uh, credibility I had as a grown man with this guy. So instead, I chose the third option, and I said, I'm sorry, I don't know what that question means. You're going to have to explain it to me very simply. I was just going to let the expert be the expert. And I thought about that this week because perhaps even though many of us have heard this story that we just read together, even though many of us have read that story a lot, even though we've heard sermons about it, many of us, Sunday school lessons, Many of us, even though it's so familiar to us, it is very easy to lose sight of the rising action of it, as our English teachers might tell us, the conflict of it that leads to all of the incredible and compelling things that happen in that story. A non-expert tells an expert what to do. (laughs) A carpenter-turned-itinerant preacher tells a fisherman how to do his job. 
And that is, on the face of it, under normal circumstances, pretty ridiculous. And Simon cannot let it pass. He will not let it pass without a little bit of commentary on that. Uh, We toiled all night and we didn't take anything. But somehow Simon knows that these are not normal circumstances. Somehow Simon knows that the man who is standing in his boat is more than a carpenter turned itinerant preacher. It's not completely clear to him who he is, not by a long shot, but whatever it is, whatever it is that Simon knows about Jesus, it is enough. It is enough for him to submit himself and to offer what he does know and what he can do to Jesus. And church, I'm telling you that the route to our progress in the faith and our joy in the faith, the route to our growing up in our faith, looks just like that for me and you too. So here's the truth. This isn't the first time these two have met. It's not the first first time Simon and Peter, uh, Simon and Jesus had met. The very first time was in this curious moment that John's gospel tells us about in the first chapter. One day, John the Baptist is standing around with two of his disciples. So John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, is standing there with two of his disciples, and Jesus walks by. And John the Baptist looks at Jesus and says, Behold the Lamb of God. <laughs> uh, so these two uh, disciples of John the Baptist hear, hear him say that, and they're off like moths to a flame. They chase Jesus down, and they stick with him the whole day and listen to him teach the whole day. One of those guys that went off to hear Jesus that day was named Andrew. He was a fisherman. He happened to be Simon's brother. And so he went, he got Simon, his brother, and he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looks at Simon and he says, you are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas. And that's literally it. End of scene. No explanations, no further conversations. Jesus just hands him a nickname and walks off. Simon, Simon. Simon was a wildly popular name at the time. Uh, In fact, I read one source this week that said maybe it was the most popular name for a guy at that time in that place. But you know what was never used ever as a proper name at that time? Cephas. (laughs) It is Aramaic for rock, and nobody's mom and dad called them Cephas. Not until the third century, for hopefully obvious reasons. The Greek version of that name is Peter. You shall be called rock. See you later. (laughs) What would that have meant to Simon? Curiosity? weird story to tell his friends and laugh about later? Something more? I don't know. And we're not sure if they met again before that day in the boat, but there is one other time Jesus' story and Simon's story crossed before that day. During the very early days of Jesus' ministry, Simon's mother-in-law had a high fever and Jesus healed her of it. That's in Luke 4. No doubt Simon had heard about that, even if he hadn't been there to see it happen. We can assume he was happy that this had happened. 
And no doubt Simon has heard about. No doubt there's a chance Simon might have seen and uh, heard Jesus preaching and seen Jesus healing. He had been doing a lot of that. Galilee uh, was not a big place, and news traveled fast, and Jesus was doing surprising things. He was doing compelling things, and wherever he went at this point, people thronged him. And that's, that's what Luke's getting at in verse 1 when he says that the people were pressing in on Jesus on one occasion. So to get a little space, to make it a little bit easier for this big crowd to hear what he wanted to say to them, Jesus comes up with a plan to to commandeer a boat, to borrow a boat for a little bit. There just happened to be two boats nearby, both of them empty, because the fishermen had called it a night. And they were on the shore washing their nets. Jesus steps into one of those empty boats, and what do you know? It's the rocks boat. (laughs) Old Simon. Jesus asks Simon to come over and put out a little bit from land so he could do some teaching. He doesn't know it yet. But Jesus' invitation has already changed Simon's whole life. So the teaching's over, and Jesus turns to Simon, and he says... Put out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. And Simon, you know, he's immediately conflicted over this, which we know because when he opens his mouth, he doesn't say, you've got it. That sounds like a great idea. I don't know why we we didn't think about that, Jesus. He says, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. He is the expert. This is... This is Simon's bread and butter. This is his place. This is where he works. They had had a lousy night. The nets are clean now. They could just go home. They could just get a bite to eat. They could just get some sleep so they could do it again the next night. And I'll tell you what, church, if his brother Andrew had suggested that they do a little more fishing out in the deep during the day, if if the brothers Zebedee, James and John, his partners, would have suggested to him, hey, let's go out and do a little more fishing Simon would have given them the business, but it is Jesus who asks him to do it. Put out in the deep, Simon. Let's go. And Jesus has been asking people to do stuff like that ever since. (laughs) Stuff that doesn't make sense from a certain way of looking at things. Stuff that runs very, very counter- to our common wisdom and our common way of being and our common sense. Like, pray for the people who hurt you. Like, stop laying up treasure on earth. Like, mend that relationship that has been broken for far too long. Like, you need to really grapple with that addiction even though it will feel like death to lose it. Like, when you give, don't don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. It's okay if no one knows. In fact, it might be better if no one knows. Like, deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. 
all of these things or whatever else it is that you know that you have been hearing Jesus to ask you do, to, do, to do, all of these things. When they come to people like you and me, they can feel an awful lot like stepping off a cliff, like walking out into the dark. And we resist doing them. We resist doing them precisely because we have no idea what will happen if we do. And it is very hard to imagine that it will work out well for us. Put out into the deep? (laughs) And it's worth thinking for a minute uh, about whatever it is that Jesus might be asking you to do. Maybe whatever it is that he has been asking you to do quietly and insistently for many years now. Or maybe you're here this morning and, and you don't have faith at all and you know it. Or you're not sure if you have faith or you're pretty sure that you did once but you don't anymore. And you hear Jesus calling you to follow him, to repent and to believe. And it sounds absurd and also deeply compelling. (laughs) Well, Simon doesn't know a lot about Jesus. He does not know a whole lot about Jesus. But what Simon does know about Jesus is pretty important. Here's what Simon knows about Jesus. He knows that Jesus has only ever been inclined to good for me. He's only ever done good to me. And he's only ever done good to the people all around him. As far as I can see, that's all he's ever done is good for them. And so he says, at your word, I will put out the nets. And that is what faith sounds like, church. That's what it looks like to have faith. At your word, I will put out the net. In no way did this make sense to Simon. Quite the contrary, it made absolutely zero sense to Simon. And this is what he did. He said, okay, for the next few minutes, I will rest everything on Jesus' word. (laughs) And it is all chaos. (laughs) He invites nothing but chaos into his life immediately. It is immediately chaos. So many fish breaking nets. Andrew, James, John, you've got to come out here. You've got to help. And this other boat gets rowed out so quickly. So many fish, both boats sinking out there in the deep. And at some point with men yelling and fish flopping around and water coming in over the top of the hole, Simon falls down at Jesus' knees. And I'll tell you what, he didn't fall because he tripped and he didn't fall because he fell there and lost his footing. He fell there because he suddenly felt prone and vulnerable and profoundly unsafe. He fell to Jesus' knees on that heaving pile of fish because his body told him that is the safest place for you to be right now in this terror that you feel suddenly. That is the safest place for you to be, to say what you absolutely positively have to say right now, which is, Jesus, please leave me alone. Please, please leave. Depart from me. I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Recently, uh, a friend of mine recommended Paul Kingsnorth's latest book to me. It's called Savage Gods. And uh, he's an English writer, and that book is kind of a memoir. I don't know, really. It's hard for me to describe the book. 
other than to say he's a guy in his middle age who has lost a lot of what he had taken for granted for many years of his life, and now he's trying to figure out what's true and what's real (laughs) and how to be a human being. And at several places in the book, he talks about seeing life through a gauze, through this really hazy gauze, you know, where he can see the broad outlines of things, he can see the, the really sharp contours of things, but all of the stuff that's really going on in life, the things between the things, the sharp detail that is unseen, he, he can't see any of that stuff. It all eludes him. And at several places he asks if he'll be able to ever split the gauze or if someone will split the gauze for him, even if it's just for a minute. That's what happened to Simon, I think. The gauze split. And in that instance where he could see everything clearly for once, maybe for the first time in his life, the important thing was not the fish, was not the sinking boats, was not the water coming in over the hull. The most important thing was the one who had started all of that chaos, and he did not see Jesus like anyone else saw Jesus. He saw Jesus through the split gauze. I mean, if you read Luke 4, if you read any other parts of the Gospels that are about this time in Jesus' life and ministry, you will see that most people could not get enough of him. They saw Jesus as a healer. They saw Jesus as a wonder worker. And pretty much everyone wanted a piece of that. They all wanted a part of that. They all wanted to have a claim on Jesus. But Simon Peter's impulse in that moment is precisely the opposite of that. He makes no claim on Jesus. He wants no part of Jesus. He wants to only be relieved of his terrifying, awesome presence. I don't know exactly who Simon thought Jesus was, I don't, but I do know this. I know that he knew Jesus was more than a wonder worker and more than a healer. I don't think he got all of his, you know, Christology sorted out on top of those fish. That's going to take years for him to figure out. But he knows that like he is in that moment, he is not safe. He's a sinful man, and Jesus is something else entirely. And to the extent that he has apprised that situation, church, he's absolutely right. But there is something that Simon does not know. What Simon does not know is that very soon, Jesus, through his actions, through what he teaches, Jesus, through his way of being, will garner a reputation. he will start to be known as the friend of sinners. (laughs) He will start to be known as the friend of people like Peter and you and me. Now, the people who say that to Jesus, they mean it as an insult, but to Simon, Peter, and me, and you, it might just be the sweetest insult we have ever heard because it means that we can be forgiven. It means that people like us can be made new again 
And that is absolutely true, church. It is true because of Jesus' love, because of his self-giving sacrifice on the cross, because of the power and victory of his resurrection and ascension. There is nothing that you and I have ever done, nothing that you and I have ever thought, nothing that you and I have ever been that can't be forgiven and washed clean. And that's the truth. That's the truth. Believe it. He is a friend of sinners. That doesn't necessarily make Jesus any safer. <laughs> it does not make him safer. Like the late Frederick Beekner once preached, we are never safe. There is no place where we can hide from God. No place where we are safe from his power to break into and recreate the human heart. And thank him for that. And precisely because that's true about Jesus, and only because that's true about Jesus, Simon doesn't need to be afraid. And so that's what Jesus says. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. <laughs> Simon, of course, has no idea what that could possibly mean, any more than he has any idea at all what his nickname means, but we do. We, we know. <laughs> Peter offered himself. Peter offered what he knew as incomplete and as broken and as unfinished as it was, and all that he had, he offered all of that stuff to Jesus in faith. And starting with that unfinished, broken, incomplete man, Jesus has built this home that we call the church. You and I, we're sitting here in this place, we're with one another, we're worshiping together, we're getting ready to have the sacrament of communion together because Jesus kept that promise unbroken to Peter. He made a promise to Peter in that boat and he has kept it certain and unbroken from that moment until right now. And he and his brother Andrew and James and John left everything, the best catch of their lives, their boats, their nets, their livelihoods, everything. And they followed him. And that is the start of the road, not just for Peter, but for you and me too. It is always the start of the road to offer our broken and our incomplete and our sinful selves and all of the stuff that comes with them to Jesus in faith and to see what he might do with and through people like us for the life of the world. <laughs> to see with wonder, with amazement, with thanks, what the steadfast love of Jesus might make of people like us. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask uh, that you would help us <laughs> to be a people who have the eye of faith to see your son, Jesus, clearly as a friend of sinners, the one who came to give his life as a ransom, the one who came to serve people like us, <laughs> the one who offers us forgiveness and new life and a vocation with him, a mission beside him in this broken world. We thank you that you kept your promise to Peter and that you built a church 
we thank you that you have brought us to this place, and we ask that you would help us to keep walking after him so that we'll grow up in our faith <laughs> and so that you can love this broken world around us. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.